warm welcome to you as well. And uh, Pastor Raw will be up here to just share uh, from God's word in just a few minutes. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, we have a lot of opportunities uh, going on here in our church fellowship that uh, we invite you to engage in and be a part of, whether you're uh, a, a man or a woman or whether you're, you're youth age, there's something for everybody. And so I want to jump into the announcements. Uh, the first one we have here uh, is our men's uh, camp out. Uh, it's coming up here on uh, the end of the month. We're actually, we're going into August already. Can you believe that? Uh, so Friday, August 26th. Saturday the 27th and Sunday the 28th, uh, we're having our men's camp out. We're going to be heading up to uh, the San Bernardino Mountains up at San Gregorio. It's called Council Campground. Um, first of all, let me ask you guys this. Hey, guys, you guys out there, men, is anybody interested in going up to this, this uh, camp out? Because there's a sign-up sheet back there, okay? And I only saw a few sign-ups from last week, and that's an epic fail, okay? So wives, nudge your husbands. It's, it's, get, them, it's, it's get up there. Uh, this is an opportunity for, for you guys um, just to, to be a part of the work that God's doing here. It's an opportunity uh, for us to be ministered to. It's an opportunity for us to minister uh, to other men and just... Uh, uh, share that bond that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, guys, we want to invite you. The cost is $75. Uh, that includes um, all the facilities up there. It includes uh, four meals. Um, it includes, it's just, it's going to be an awesome time. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so just want to encourage you to get signed up so we can plan around that. Um, also, this is open for any of the men that have uh, sons as well. So you're invited to bring your boys up. Um, that's a great opportunity uh, just to get them involved as well. And so uh, we also have coming up, uh, I think here on August 7th at 1 o'clock, we have our youth, uh, it's, it's a youth group meetup. And so uh, all of you that are uh, youth age that are involved in our youth group, we want you to come on out and uh, join us at Fiesta Village. It's going to be a time of, of fellowship. That's on Sunday the 7th. Uh, that'll be right after church, and it's at 1 o'clock. So bring your own money, bring, activity, bring your own money for activities and food. In fact, there's a, a, an information sheet back there at the uh, info table. So if you're uh, looking to get some more information, you could grab that on your way out today. Uh, an email has gone out to those that have uh, youth. Um, and uh, also any questions, you could uh, go to Chad or, or Jamie Allen as well. So um, also for you guys out there, guys, we have our, our monthly men's prayer breakfast coming up this Saturday the 6th at 7 o'clock a.m. I can see that Tom's the only one that's excited for that. But, uh, you know, we, we can't underemphasize uh, the, the importance of prayer. So men, let's, let's be counted for. Um, not only does prayer demonstrate our, our faith in God, but uh, in corporate prayer, uh, you know, we uh, can come together with other believers. Uh, and not only is it, is it pleasing to the Lord, but um, in turn, we as men are, are built up, we're, we're edified, and we're unified uh, in, in, in Jesus Christ. And so, guys, uh, come on out this Saturday uh, at 7 o'clock, bright and early, to start off our weekend right. 
Um, also, uh, as we announced last week, uh, for the Women's Fellowship, we have another Titus Tuesday uh, planned, and that is coming up actually this Tuesday, August 2nd at 6.30, as uh, June Hesterly uh, will be joining us and sharing uh, from the Word of God. The cost is uh, $10 for that event, and so uh, today is the last day to get signed up for that, so we want to just encourage you um, to, to get signed up for that and be a part of it. And so all these opportunities, they're uh, just great, great ways that we can uh, be ministered to, great ways to uh, just make this church uh, just more closely knit uh, together. You know, oftentimes as believers, you, we might feel isolated, we might feel alone. And, uh, you know, so we want to encourage you to, to fellowship, uh, take part um, in these opportunities that we're sharing with you, and uh, make, maybe take a, a step of faith as well. So with that, I want to just invite uh, Pastor Rawl up, and as he's coming up, why don't we just stand up real quick and say hello to one another. God bless. Hello. Hey, brother. Hey. Good morning. Good As you're done, normally I have to ask you to sit down, but I don't know, I guess this is a, a calm Sunday, right? Um, so that, how, that song, House of the Lord, where's, where's Ray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that again. We got we to gotta, like, bring down the roof here. <laughs> Make some noise and um, just bless the Lord. Um, you know, <clears throat> this morning I, I have, um, I, you know, I, I come with great joy knowing that um, as like on Wednesday we were, uh, we enjoyed some time with family, um, something that is, is very rare as far as missing a Wednesday or even a Sunday is concerned. Um, but I can tell you that I am thoroughly blessed um, and I am encouraged to know that there are men in this congregation, in this fellowship, that are willing, able, and can encourage you and bless you with the word of God, whether I'm here or not. So that, to me, is, is great encouragement because, number one, uh, we're better off for it. And number two, if anything, if, if I were to be called home, and it would be definitely a home going, um, it, I, I know that you would be in good hands. And so for a church, you couldn't ask for more uh, because that's what the body is supposed to be doing. Uh, the men are supposed to be being discipled and growing uh, in their understanding of God's word and be able to teach. Um, not that they've been called to that ministry full time, but, uh, but men, at, at some point, you should be able to teach. 
Uh, it shouldn't be that, um, you know, after 10, 20, 30 years of walking with the Lord, that you would be at a loss for words. So it's, a, it's an encouragement. It's not, it's not a rebuke. Um, it, it is a word of encouragement. So study the word. Make it known not only for the benefit of your spouse, your wife, but also your children. It'll serve you in every area of life. And here within the body of Christ, you can be called upon at any given time. And if you don't rely on your own strength and rely on the Lord and his spirit, he can use you in some pretty mighty ways. And so I would just want to just uh, thank Modesto. I know he's not here. He's with family now. Uh, he's in Tahoe and enjoying some time there. And, uh, and so, you know, I want to just uh, thank Modesto and, uh, you know, because I know he did a great job in Colossians, uh, encouraging you and teaching you from God's word. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going into Mark chapter 11. And uh, this is the moment right after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And um, we're going to see exactly what takes place here um, as Mark presents the details of a few things that happened afterwards. So Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11 is where we're at. We're covering verses 12 through uh, 26, 12 through 26. The title of this morning's message is Cleansing Confusion. Anyone need a cleansing? <laughs> you guys all right? We, uh, <clears throat> we, we need uh, clarity in today's world. There's, there's a lot of confusion, isn't there? And it's, uh, it's a big market. Confusion is a great market because... Because with confusion comes a bunch of saviors, right? Those who are here to save the day or uh, to promote themselves and to give you the answer, you know, for the confusion that they really have caused themselves. And so we know that according to God's word, there is clarity. He's not the God of confusion. He is the God of order. And he has set order in his creation, and we are to simply see it for what it is, and then walk it out. In other words, live it in our lives. So cleansing confusion is what we have this morning in these verses. Let's begin by reading in Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. On the, day, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, 
Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all, all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Father, as we enter into this section of scripture, we ask, Lord, for you to give us understanding, Lord, that by your spirit you would give us, Lord, uh, this word in context, Lord, that we would know exactly what this means and how it applies to us, Lord. And perhaps the things that need to be corrected, Father, we would, we would yield to you and your authority, Lord, knowing that all good things come from you and you lead us in all truth. And Lord, you are faithful and you are trustworthy. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. Yeah. Jesus wept. But he also whipped. <laughs> Jesus encouraged, but he also rebuked. Jesus taught, but he also warned. Jesus did not come the first time to judge, but he warned of the day of judgment. He did not say what people wanted to hear but what they needed to hear. Jesus is not the God of confusion, but the God of order, and he did not remain silent. Take this to heart, because we, this is something that we need to understand as well. He did not remain silent when someone said something that was not true or were displaying themselves as being something they were not. Quite contrary to what we're being told to do today. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Just go with the flow. Take it all in. Don't rock the boat. Just do as you're told. Be good little boys and girls and trust in everyone else and anything else. Is that the Jesus you know? Far from it. Far from it. Why is it that he did not remain silent? Why is it that he didn't just look the other way when people were displaying themselves as being something they were not? Why did he not just say, hey, to each their own? As far as you're concerned, just, just live at peace. Live and let live. Why? Because to ignore it would be to overlook confusion. A fake illusion that will lead people astray and down the path of destruction. And God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. 
couldn't. He's faithful and he, he couldn't deny himself. There's no way he could overlook that. For in that instance, he would not be a, a good God. He would not be a good judge. To ignore it would be to overlook confusion. A fake illusion that will lead people astray and down the path of destruction to ultimate judgment without repentance. You know, you, you sometimes hear about how you know, you're encouraged to be your person, whatever that may be. After all, God made you that way, right? Is what we say. And that's why we justify and His grace will cover it, no matter what. No, he calls us to confess and repent. Confess, confess to what is true, and, and if we're not in alignment with what is true, then we repent. We turn from that. That's what he calls us to. Because he doesn't want us to face judgment without forgiveness. Remember, the same Jesus who allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to deal with sin is the same Jesus who made a whip and overturned tables. It's the same Jesus who cursed a fig tree and used that as an opportunity to teach his disciples what it meant to be all leaf and no fruit. That's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Jesus fully confronted what would condemn us. Listen, and this is what's so deeply loving about God. He doesn't overlook these things. He's confronted these things. Why is that? Oh, to give us rules and laws to abide by? No, they serve for us as guardrails to walk down a path that we would remain protected, that we would not walk down the path of destruction, and especially to eternal condemnation without confessing and repenting. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Thus there will be three effects of nearness to Jesus, humility, happiness, and holiness. Close quote. This morning, as we look at a portion of Mark 11, we will see how Jesus did not overlook hypocrisy, the abuse of what is holy, nor did Jesus go along with and play games with the insincere. He exposed them and confronted them. But he did encourage and he did teach his disciples to pray. Learning how to express genuine faith and believe that with God, nothing is impossible. With God, oh, the saying is true. With God, you can move mountains because he can move mountains. He can do the impossible. While Satan always attempts to undermine and destroy what is good and true by confusing and mimicking what is true for the glory of self, Jesus cleanses out confusion and speaks what is true to the glory of the Father. For that was his food, right? To do the will of the Father, to complete it, to fulfill it. And so it should be ours as well. 
It should be our, our satisfaction, our contentment to walk in the ways of the Lord and bless and honor Him. We're going to take a look at the curse, the cleanse, and the prayer. The curse, the cleanse, and the prayer. Let's begin once again in verse 12 with the curse of the fig tree. On the following day, that is following Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, after he had gone back to Bethany, and now he's returning to Jerusalem. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So, on the surface, you could look at this story, this specific brief moment in time when Jesus was walking to back to Jerusalem, and you could say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? There's a fig tree. It had leaves on it. He went and found no fruit, and then he cursed it? On the surface, you could say, well, that's why didn't you take it so seriously, right? Why was it so serious to Jesus? Uh, well, I can just say this from the very beginning. Whatever is serious to Jesus should be serious for us. There has to come a point in your walk, in my walk. I remember the moment I, I knew that, that God was faithful. I knew that his word was true. What happened was truly remarkable in my own time that I spent in God's Word reading. At that point, I could look at a story like this and say, well, it was serious to Jesus for specific reasons. Maybe I should look into it a little bit deeper that I may gain understanding. That for me, I, I would understand like he was using this as as a moment to illustrate to the disciples and teach them an important lesson. So I myself believe that this is serious enough to insert it into Scripture, into the Bible. And, and I want to gain understanding. I believe it. Okay. What's the big deal? I don't, I don't know at first, but I'm going to find out what's happening here. Why is this even in the Bible? Well, we know that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He experienced hunger just like you and I. And Jesus had just entered into Jerusalem the day before fulfilling prophecy. Think about this, fulfilling prophecy. And today is Monday and he approaches Jerusalem on his way to the temple and he sees this fig tree in the distance He's hungry again, and he goes to this fig tree to retrieve some fruit to satisfy his hunger. But Jesus found nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves on it. So what? There are plenty of other trees that have leaves, and they're not cursed. Why pick on this little tree? 
What is the big deal? Should they be cursed also? Well, again, we miss the point. We start asking questions like that, and we just we kind of lose it. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have the tendency to do that. Can we for a moment understand it was this specific moment with this specific fig tree that a lesson was to be taught to the disciples? Leave everything else that is inconsequential alone. Right? We, we start to confuse ourselves when we're, well, let's take a look at others, you know, other trees. And why, why didn't he do this over and over again? What's important to him? What's important with this lesson right here? That's what we ought to focus on. Sometimes we just get hung up on the, the things that are inconsequential, that have no meaning to this story whatsoever or anything else. The problem is not that, the, that it didn't have fruit. Think about this. It's not that it did not have fruit, but that this actually was false advertisement. That's what it was. It was all leaves and no fruit. Well, it says here that it wasn't in season, right? It says in verse 13, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Okay, so then we look at that. Okay, well, it had leaves, but Jesus knew that it wasn't the season for figs. So why is it that he cursed the tree when it did not have figs, when it wasn't even the season for figs? Because fig trees would grow leaves when it had fruit. And so the tree appeared, looked like it had fruit because it had leaves. But it actually had no fruit. At the point the fig tree begins to leaf, the fruit comes with it. And so it was a false impression. It was, the leaves were there, but Jesus came to it. It should have fruit. I don't care, season or not. In season or not in season. The tree is showing leaves. It should have fruit. And you had none. Again, this is a lesson. Listen, have you ever been fooled by something that appeared one way but wasn't when you thought, you thought it was one thing and it wasn't what you thought it was? You ever seen fool's gold? Looks like gold, but it's actually pyrite, which upon closer inspection will flake, powder, or crumble when poked with something hard. Cheap stuff. It'll glitter. It'll look real pretty. How about, ladies, look at your rings. Is it a diamond or is it a cubic zirconia? <laughs> Better not be a... <laughs> Cubic zirconia, it's a synthesized material that is made to look like a diamond but has little value compared to a diamond. Little value. Listen, Jesus came to the tree because it had leaves but found no fruit. And Jesus cursed the tree. Simple as that. 
it would not have been cursed if it had not had leaves, and it did not have fruit, because, but because it had leaves and no fruit, it was cursed. This is a profound lesson for us to pay attention to and understand because God is very pleased when someone looks one way and actually is that way, is that person, is genuine, but is displeased when someone gives the appearance of something they are not. Those people actually kindle God's anger. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. By the way, you can read through this whole chapter yourself. We're just going to touch on a few verses here. But in Matthew chapter 23, these are the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the time. You can read through it yourself. These are what were described as whitewashed tombs, and you'll see why as you read through. But we're going to read Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Jesus speaking says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, again, as we take the whole counsel of God into consideration, we can also look at Matthew chapter 24, the next chapter, verses 3 through 5. Jesus as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Many people will be led astray. Many people today are being led astray. Too many people. Why? Because of ignorance. Or because we just want it our way. It's pride. It's stubbornness. It's our own hardness of heart. We're not really yielding to the authority of God's word. We're seeking our own pleasure. We're not seeking his glory. And so we get confused, but we're confusing ourselves in so doing. It's serious. This, this lesson that we're learning here in Mark chapter 11 and beginning with the lesson of the fig tree is very important for us to understand. In Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Therefore, all leaves and no fruit is a deception that displeases God. And so Jesus cursed this fig tree to serve as a lesson for his disciples. May it be the same lesson for us. 
Are you all leaves and no fruit? Because we are to abide in Christ and allow him to produce fruit for his glory, not our glory, for his glory. Whose glory are we desiring and seeking, pursuing, living for? Number one is the curse. Number two is the cleanse. And we see Jesus arrive in Jerusalem. Verse 15 says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. The religious leaders were a group of prominent men who the people had entrusted with, with giving them great power, authority over them. The people trusted them. They looked up to them. And yet it was these people who allowed the temple to be used as a marketplace for personal gain instead of what it was intended for by God. Again, going back to the Word of God, what's, what's the intention for? What is the, the purpose of me? Uh, what is the purpose of this place? What is the purpose of the church, the body of Christ? What is the purpose? It has been designated and given to it by God himself. Not man. These people were personally benefiting financially from the abusive practice of money changers and selling sacrifices. That was approved by the priests. Because the priests, what they would do is they would deny, the, the people would bring their sacrifices to the temple. And they were inspected. Each animal would be inspected to see uh, if it would meet the standard to be offered to the Lord. So what they were doing was they were saying, oh, this one is not right, it is unacceptable, does not meet the standards of being, a, be, being used for a, a temple sacrifice. But, you know, I just happen to know. If you go right around the corner here, out to the court of the Gentiles, right over there, there's this guy that's sitting there that, that he's, he has one perfect just for you. Well, they would go and they would buy these animals at elevated prices. They were being taken advantage of. There was also a temple tax that was due. But it had to be paid with temple currency, and so therefore they had to bring their money and exchange it for temple currency, and then they could offer this as temple, the temple tax. Well, pennies on the dollar, it would cost you everything, you know, so much money in, in order to receive the temple currency that would pay for the temple tax that was due. It wasn't dollar for dollar. If you thought God overlooked things like this, think again. 
When people use the church to sell their books or to sell their musical tours, I'm talking within the church. Not outside the church. When you take up a whole Sunday to invite a quote-unquote speaker to talk about a book that he has written and is promoting or selling that, in my, in my opinion, he is using the church as his marketplace, promoting books, not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but promoting their own books. And, and you have people that have these friends that will be invited to the church and please, like, there you have, you have thousands of people before you. Have at it. And by the way, go ahead and set up tables outside and, and your, your people with, you know, ways that they can buy your, your book and promote it. I see that as being no different. As I continue to serve within the church and, and see the word for what it is, this should be kept sacred. The pulpit is not for people to market or promote their books. It is not for that. And yet I can, I can assure you at this very moment somewhere, someone is promoting a book. The temple was to be God's house. Consecrated for holy use. A house of prayer for all the nations. But Jesus was telling them that they had turned it into a den of robbers. Again, confrontation. This is the Jesus. Oh, gentile, gentle, like very humble and meek Jesus. Sometimes we picture him as being just like a pushover, like a doormat. And he was far from that. I mean, he confronted the religious leaders of the time calling them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs full of dead people's bones. You, you are a brood of vipers. Like, no soft words coming from Jesus. Making a whip? Overturning tables? Are you uncomfortable right now? Is that not the Jesus you want? Do you want him to be a pushover in your life too? Just be whatever it is that you want him to be for you. No. We got we, we, we to know him for who he is. We need to reflect his character. To honor and bring him glory. No, he confronted all of these people. In fact, if you notice with me, in, in verse 15, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. What? Those who buy, what did they have to? They were being taken advantage of. Mm. Oh, if you, if you know, and you just go along with it, and you just buy, and then you plead ignorance, doesn't work. Doesn't work with a God who knows everything, even the intentions of your heart. When you participate by purchasing or being a part of those things, sometimes we're, we're in a body, I don't know, a church. 
right? And we're participating in that way, and we're like, well, you know, at least they're leading people to Christ. That's what could be said of this, right? Well, at least it's still a place for them to go and worship, you know? God will take care of those people, and he'll judge those people. He'll judge the intentions of the heart. Well, I I don't know how much more plain to put it. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. They were participants too. They were actually encouraging those who were selling those items to sell more. Out of whatever it was, convenience, or it was just one of those amenities that were provided to satisfy the needs of the people in the moment, even though they knew they were being duped. So ignorance is not going to be something that can help us out in that day when we're being called on by the Lord and being held accountable for those things. For him to know that, that knows to do good and fails to do it, for him it is sin, right? Well, The temple was God's house, consecrated for holy use, a house of prayer. And Jesus told them, you've turned it into a den of robbers. Jesus explicitly stated that they were thieves taking advantage of the people. And Jesus did not sit idle while they did this. He acted and he spoke. Listen. In the book of Isaiah, in Revelation chapter 12, we know that Lucifer... He fooled a third of the angels and they fell with him. If Lucifer can fool a third of the angels who were in the presence of God, oh, we need to stand guard. Brothers and sisters, we need to stand guard. We need to be discerning. Can you imagine being in the glory of God and believing this created angel and then following him? destruction. No, Jesus acted and he spoke, but it was because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that everyone would know the truth of God's word, know what it means to know forgiveness and God's grace. But notice how the chief priests and the scribes responded in verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So again, even the religious leaders, they didn't respond in the way that Jesus desired for them to respond. They didn't repent. They didn't confess. He just said, hey, at this point, we, we need to figure out how to, how to take him out. He's, he's reigning on our parade. He's cutting into our, our prophets. He's messing up our whole system here. Anyone who does that will be attacked by the people who are actually a part of that. The religious leaders, you could say, were all leaves and no fruit. They did not like what Jesus was saying, speaking against, what he was acting on telling them that they were using basically the temple for their own personal gain. There were many who were benefiting from the activity that they were facilitating. Likewise, again, today there are churches looking the other way because they don't want to upset the Christian business. 
is justified by saying that they are serving the church when in reality they are serving themselves. Who is being glorified? Is it Jesus or self? Listen, there are many... I'm, I'm going to rock the boat right now, all right? More. Even more. There are Christian artists who are not a part of any local church. Perhaps they'll, they'll name a, a church and say, yeah, I belong to that church. But they're on tour most of the time. And, and really, they're no different in, in many ways. I'm not saying that they are fallen. Maybe they're confused or they're just full of themselves, which is in and of itself the same thing. And then they start wanting to become your pastor. What happens is you start listening to them more than you listen to your pastor, the leaders from the local church who have an invested desire in you to, to bless you and to raise you up, to protect you and to lead you down the right path. Oh, I, I see them. I see their posts on social media. They have an incredible following. That must mean that they're more important than those people that God has placed in my life in the local church to look to and to ask for advice and to receive counsel from. Oh, I see that. What they're doing is elevating themselves to a place that God has not ordained them to act within. There are many. There are many out there. Who is being glorified? Is it Jesus or self? You know, Jesus is acting in a very judgmental type of manner in, in what we just read in both the fig tree, the issue of the fig tree, the circumstance there and the event there, and also now within the temple itself. What happened to judge not lest you be judged? <laughs> that kind of gets blown out of the water here, doesn't it? After all, we are to be Christ-like, are we not? That means we need to be discerning. We can't be discerning if we don't know the truth and then exercise the truth, practice it. Interesting that it all has to do with false appearances and the abuse of what has been set apart for God. The same can be said of the church. It was intended for the worship of God and the building of God's people spiritually, not for self-gain and not to satisfy external earthly wants or demands. It is good when Jesus cleanses his bride with his word. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And verse 32 says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Because it's interesting, in those verses 25 through 27, we go from husbands ought to wash your wives with the word, and then we see how it is that it is Christ himself that is washing the church, his bride, with his word. 
Oh, we need to be washed with the whole counsel of God's word. We, oh, we are in such critical, such a critical place, such great need of being cleansed with the word. This is exactly what Jesus did in the temple. You know what he quoted? Scripture. Isaiah 56, 7. That's what he quoted. They should have listened. There are many times when we should have listened. We should listen. Then there's the prayer. Verse 20 is... We continue, as as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And as they passed by that fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day prior, Peter noticed. Wow. It's withered away. It's it's dead. Jesus had said in verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They were within earshot for a reason. Again, this this was a a lesson for his disciples to learn, for us to learn and know this morning. Peter was amazed that it it was as Jesus had prayed the day previous. But hadn't they seen Jesus perform many miracles up to this point? Of course they had, but they were still amazed. Jesus used this moment to encourage them to pray and to do so with faith. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Sometimes we're asking for more faith when we haven't exercised the faith that has already been entrusted to us. Exercise that faith. Because the object of any size of faith is always one person. God. Our faith is in Him. If we have faith in God alone, things happen. First in our own hearts, most importantly in our own hearts. And then our will becomes God's and we yield to whatever he desires. We begin to realize that his will is perfect. Whatever that may be, it's perfect. It's okay. Oh, I'm facing difficulties today. But it's okay because God is with me. And he is faithful. He strengthens me. I'm faced with a difficult situation with someone else. It's okay. Remember, God will give you the words to speak in that moment. Trust in him. Let him be that that bit in your mouth. Let him take the reins and consider his word. 
are our hearts yielded to his will? Have we found contentment in Christ alone? Is salvation enough? But he says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Oh, that's wonderful. It, it, it's not, hey, pray so much that uh, you insist on your own way and then he'll give it to you. <laughs> that's, that's not what that's saying. It, it's a saying. It's a phrase that was common in that day and likewise should be common among God's people in this day. Knowing that it is true. This was a statement of truth made to the disciples so that they would know that the prayer of faith in God is effective. And with God all things are possible. But what is it that you want to be most possible and happen in your life? Is it your will or God's will? Because remember, God is first and foremost interested in the heart of man. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And let's continue on from there because that is actually what we're driving to and understanding that in prayer, we cannot say the previous verses and take ownership of them, receive them, unless we understand verse 10 to verse 13, which says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. To be content in the Lord and him alone. Not by the person sitting next to you or your next promotion or anything else. With this said, Jesus made it abundantly clear to his disciples as to what also would hinder prayer. What would hinder prayer? Unforgiveness. Being resentful, full of bitterness, angry. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It does not refer to compromise. It, it just means do everything you can to restore, to reconcile, to live in harmony with God's word, to bless and honor him, and then pray with pure hearts, clean hands, a clear conscience, a clear conscience of anything that would hinder your prayers. Be sincere, be genuine. Make sure you are a genuine believer. Don't be all leaves and no fruit. Have a heart that is yielded to Jesus completely. Believing God can do what he says and pray with faith in him. Let's make sure church is not being used or sought after to satisfy our material earthly needs or wants or desires. This is actually a place of prayer, worship, and discipleship to bless and glorify God. Allow God to cleanse any confusion that you may have by knowing and understanding his word and applying it. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one, no, none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I'll leave you with this. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, Look to the cross and hate your sin. For sin nailed your well-beloved to the tree. Look up to the cross and you will kill sin. For the strength of Jesus' love will make you strong to put down your tendencies to sin. Heavenly Father, we Lord come to you knowing, Lord, that we, we fall short. And yet, Lord, I pray, Father, that oh, you would use the lesson of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple, Lord, to serve us, your people. Or to help us to understand that you require us to be fruitful. You expect that of us. Lord, that it's, it's not this, this outward look that we should have and, and yet not be genuine inside, Lord, and, and not be fruitful. But, Father, you require a consistency, Lord, that we would, be, we would have um, integrity. Lord, a, a true relationship with you that desires to bless and honor you above all.
yielding our will to yours, knowing that your will is perfect and you are faithful and you are good. Oh, you are able to save to the uttermost. Lord, I pray, Father, that if anyone here has never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, for he said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not by works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that that person or people, whoever it is here, that has never known the forgiveness of sins and, and the hope of eternal life and glory with you, that today would be the day in which they completely surrender their lives to you. That they don't desire to just look good, Lord, but that they are good, not because they are good, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, by whose blood their sin has been atoned for, and through whom they can be forgiven of all of their sins. Oh, may, may today be the day of salvation. Complete surrender, Lord, that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus because they are new creatures in Christ. With a new desire, a new purpose, Lord, life takes on a whole new meaning. And what's to come is even better. Oh, I pray for salvation at this very moment, whether someone's watching online or right here physically in this building. May they not allow this moment to pass. May they simply confess that they have fallen short of bringing you glory, that they have sinned and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior believing that he has died for their sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. Fill him with your spirit, Lord. Seal him for the day of redemption with your spirit. And for the church, I do pray for a cleansing. I ask, Lord, that you would oh, set our hearts ablaze for you. That we would not go after shiny things, Lord, but that we would simply desire to know your word and then apply it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Lord, that we love you and love each other. That we would grow in, in our understanding of your word and then apply it. And then teach others that very same thing. Well, have your way with us, Lord. Oh, this is indeed the house of the Lord. <laughs> Lord, let us sing your praises, for you are worthy of our praises. Let us demonstrate and, and express our love for you in everything that we are. Oh, you are worthy. You are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.